Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, your weekly podcast where we take a deep dive examining knowledge, philosophies, wisdom and insights to help you to lead, manage and coach in football, sports and life. Leader Manager Coach is presented by Rob Riles. Rob is a qualified coach with a League Managers Association qualification and a science and medicine background. He has worked in the football industry in Europe, USA and Africa at international, premiership, league, non-league and grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to another edition of Leader Manager Coach. Now this week the content for the podcast has been stimulated by an hour-long conversation that I've recently had with somebody from another country and for me it highlighted the stark differences in the coaching environment that I certainly work in and thousands of other people work in and the coaching environment that this other person who happened to be my sister in actual fact and the coaching environment in which her daughter, who is my niece, actually encounters five or six days a week. And it bought a lot of thoughts to my mind about how compromising and how challenging sometimes the role of a coach is. And the story behind it is this. If you are a coach listening to this podcast, if you are a parent, even if you are a player, and you are in any kind of environment where you are mentored, you are coached, you are communicated with, you are advised, you are shown things, you are taught, you are educated, or you are the educator, then you will recognize the scenario. And the scenario is that you engage in a relationship as a coach, you engage in a relationship with a player, maybe with a parent, but we're primarily talking about the coach-player relationship or the coach swimmer relationship or the coach tennis player relationship, whatever you want to call the the relationship of two parts. So one is the leader, if you like, and one is the follower, just to make it simple. And I suppose we are specifically talking about relationships with minors. So people who are under the age of 18, who we consider to be minors. And the backstory really that underpins this episode of the podcast, which I suppose really, um, I'm going to do my best to make it a positive one because that's the where I come from and I don't believe in whining and I don't believe in complaining and I don't believe in being I'll just use the word negative as a as a general term I believe in being solution orientated and I'm sure that's where we all come from when we're at our best but we live in a world of contrast where we find things that we don't always like, we find things that we don't always agree with, and we find things that compromise us or challenge us or put us into thoughts and places that are not comfortable. And that, that's the way that life evolves because it's how we respond to those challenges, to those contrasts, to those things that are uncomfortable and how we respond and how we recreate or go about producing changes that are more in, in line with what we want to achieve. It's how life works. You know, we don't, and nobody, the whole of life evolves because there are challenges. And every time we go around a corner, we've achieved something else, we get another challenge. And it's just the way that the world works. The universe works. 
in my humble opinion, and, and moves things on and evolves things. So here we are in the 21st century in a in the United Kingdom. Let's just talk about that because it's the contrast between the United Kingdom a little bit and other countries where we are, if you are in a sporting environment and you are working with minors, you will obviously be well-versed or you should be well-versed in the area of child protection and the vulnerability of children and that it will be underpinned and will have been stimulated all the legislation and all the guidance and all the advice is there because of primarily things that have gone wrong and whether that's of a sexual nature or whether it's of an abusive bullying nature or an inappropriate or what's considered an inappropriate level or method or way of being particularly with vulnerable people i.e specifically minors never mind people who are considered to be even more vulnerable who may have special needs of certain kinds whether that's physical or mental who engage in sporting activities that they enjoy and that they are passionate about so this legislation exists because of i look back and think of misdemeanors that have been highlighted and things have come come to the fore and legislation and jurisdiction and guidance has been felt necessary by governmental forces governing bodies and instrumental organizations in order to prevent undesirable things happening and to show us a guiding light of preferential recommended bright line practice that will prevent things happening that we find undesirable will protect young people and will all help with the prevention of things that we don't want to see in our in our society and in this conversation that i had with my sister whose daughter she has actually done a podcast episode for us about the thoughts and processes that a young athlete goes through at an elite level um there is obviously from this conversation a stark difference between the practices that we have in this country and the practices we have abroad and when i was discussing how we are frequently and all for the best intentions i believe um not bombarded but reminded and reminded strongly that we should adhere to certain guiding principles dealing with young people and i do think that these guiding principles have become stronger and stronger and the coercion if i can use that word to actually act in certain ways as an adult when you're dealing with children as is getting stronger and stronger such to the point that now as a coach even in an environment where there are a lot of other people around i am advised not to engage in a one to one conversation with a minor one of my players away from the group where nobody else can hear the conversation in case that that conversation is reported by the child or the player to be something that it wasn't and when i discussed this with my family member who lives in another country she just could not believe what she was hearing and so just to paint the picture of 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 difference here i am in 
on a large open area, a football pitch area with numerous pitches on it, numerous training sessions with maybe 100 young players engaging in a two-hour coaching session. Amongst those players or in addition to those players will be half a dozen or more professional coaches. And I am advised that I would be better not communicating in a one-to-one situation away from the group with a player in case there are any allegations made against the communication that I made with that player. Even though there are a lot of other people around who could see what was going on, albeit from a short distance, whether that was five meters, 10 meters or 20 meters. Um, In contrast, in another continent, on another continent, we have coaches who spend many hours a week, often on a one-to-one or a one-to-two or a one-to-three basis with athletes who are minors, who are of the opposite sex, who are communicated with and educated by the, the coach and who freely admit that they also engage in hands-on therapy for any minor injuries or muscle tightnesses or areas of physical detriment, if I can use that, that phrase, that the coach helps to alleviate. Now, whether you think that's completely wrong or you think that's okay is not particularly um, why I'm saying this. I'm not trying to take a stance as such and say that one is absolutely right and one is absolutely wrong. But there is certainly a phenomenal difference between the what is considered to be appropriate and normal and acceptable in two societies that are not too dissimilar in their sporting prowess. So we're not talking about a country that is, you know, maybe considered a developing country that has not allowed access to to certain finances to allow the sporting generation or the sporting facet of that culture, of that country to develop. We're talking about the difference between, you know, South Africa on one hand and the United Kingdom on the other hand. And if you look at the histories of those two countries, albeit they are very different, the present situation in terms of the sporting ability of those countries and and, and the engagement is not, not too dissimilar. And you would expect there would be possible quite similar or, or, or quite high parallels between the two, but it appears that there are not. And it's just this that highlighted to me, wow, what what a difference. And, and when... When I do think about it, you know, and maybe I'm throwing the cat amongst the pigeons here and I don't actually mind doing that really. Um, are we, are we, the question is, are we as coaches being slowly, slowly, slowly strangled and compromised more and more and more until our ability to be highly efficient and highly impactful individuals it is compromised to such a degree that it becomes really difficult to facilitate the the changes that we want. Because if we believe the, what's the word I'm looking for? If we believe the literature, if we believe the research, if we believe what is the current thought process in terms of 
being able to be an influencer, being able to educate, to influence, to change people's minds, to change people's abilities and to help them become the best that they can be. Is it not true that we need to develop deep, trusting, lasting relationships of integrity? Because all the research says that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And last night I was having a conversation on the telephone with a player and this was following a training session. And this player called me and asked if he could ask me some questions and I consented and over the telephone I responded to his questions about his performances and I was mindful of conversations I'd, I'd had previous in the or previously in the week with one of my leaders who reminded us quite strongly that we should never put ourselves in a compromising situation even in a communication situation never mind a physical situation. So I was out of a physical situation. I was in a communication situation over the telephone. And I assumed that the player's parent was around, but I couldn't take that as read. Um, and the player asked me the questions and I answered his questions appropriately, but being very mindful of the conversation that I'd had with my leader in the week. So I was very structured in my in my thoughts, I wasn't free flowing. I wasn't um, just letting the conversation come out as I would maybe with a colleague. I was being very structured. And in hindsight, there were good points of that because I stuck to the task and I was very much on blob with what the questions were asked. But having said that, it was quite a difficult conversation because I was constantly double checking what I was going to say next before it came out of my mouth. And sometimes that's a little bit like a, a sports star who is, con is consciously competent. You are thinking, doing, thinking, doing, thinking, doing, thinking, doing. And if you are a master of what you do, you just let it happen unconsciously because you are in the flow. Now, what I'm wondering is, are we being slowly compromised and are we being slowly strangled and hindered by the legislation and the guidance and the advice that we're being given and we are being guided down a path that is ultimately going to lead us to inefficiency and being of less influence and not being as being the people we want to be. I don't know the answer to that, but I've got strong feelings that um that that's possibly the way the way things are and I can relate to that. I don't know if anybody any of you can can relate to this, but as a, I've spent a lot of my years as well as being a coach, being involved in a in a, a physical therapy environment. I'm a chartered physiotherapist, and I can certainly say, hand on heart, that 30 years ago, when I started, I was brave, I was courageous, I was free, and I engaged in in real, assertive, strong what I considered to be cutting edge therapeutic techniques that I was thought were, were great, were successful, were, were, would, get, would get the best result, always with the best thoughts for the client and the patient or the person at the forefront of my mind to be successful for them. And when I look back now, three decades later, how there is absolutely no doubt how much more compromised I am as a physical therapist because the first thought process is 
is much more about have I got actual consent from for this person because we have to actually now get written consent. So if somebody comes to you and somebody puts themselves in an environment where they actually pay you or they ask you by their presence because they they are in a service that is demanding of your your skills, you still have to get consent, verbal consent, sorry, not always written consent, ideally written, but not always. You have to get consent to engage in a specific treatment. And essentially, that is considered to be a safeguard so that you make sure that the person understands what they are about to be engaged in, or it is also a protection thing for you so that you know you you are not likely to um, face any litigation or criticism over engaging in something that that is not wanted by the client there's a lot of people who would argue well people would not put themselves in a situation where they actually went physically to see somebody who um would en- would engage in a certain practice anyway so if you go to a dentist you know you trust in that dentist to perform their skills and do what is best for you. And if you go to a doctor, you do the same kind of thing. But the world is not exactly like that anymore and consent and litigation are at the forefront. And it, and that compromises an awful lot and we spend an awful lot of time. We spend millions and millions, if not billions of pounds, particularly in the health service. And I see this every single every day but I see it many many times whereby people are admitted or are seen by a medic and in addition to the specifics of the thing that they see the the specialist for the consultant for the doctor for they will be scanned they will have radiography and they will be checked out for a multitude of other illnesses in addition many, many of which will be considered to be irrelevant, but the risk of missing out the diagnosis of something else and the subsequent possible legal ramifications of such are often the reason why, that's what I think, why things are are done. And uh, it has very much, very much similar parallels to the the coaching scenario whereby we follow rules so that we don't engage in any activity which may leave us vulnerable, irrelevant of whether that is the best for the player or not. And I think somewhere, surely there is a, a middle ground. There is a, a, a safe ground. There is a a ground that is that is that is best for everybody. And I don't know what that is. And you know, I'm not sure exactly where that lies, but I think the only thing that it does leave me with is a thought process that I have to be happy with myself. And I don't know where you are, coaches. I don't know where you are, players, managers, leaders, but I think ultimately we are judged by ourselves. And I think we are often our own harshest critics. You know, there's people who say in the privacy of your own mind, we are so abusive to ourselves, so much more abusive to ourselves than we ever would be with anybody else. Sometimes our self-talk to ourselves, you know, oh, 
stupid. I shouldn't have done that. I should be doing this. I ought to be doing that. I'm not doing this. I should be doing that. You know, many, many people will tell us we are so hard on ourselves that we would never be that way. And we would never use the words we use silently to ourselves with other people. So I think ultimately it all comes down to what, what's right for us and how we feel about it for us. But I do have to say um, in the current culture that I work in that I do feel very compromised in a lot of ways. And I think that we get used to that. It's like the, you know, there's an experiment where if you put a frog in a bowl or a bucket or a metal vessel of cold water and you heat that water up, that frog will stay in that water and will die as the water temperature gets hotter and hotter and hotter and eventually kills it because the slow incremental increase in the temperature of that water will just be adjusted to by the frog and before it jumps out it will be cooked now whether that's true or not i don't know but that's that's what i'm told and whether that's just an analogy to paint a picture again i don't know but i get it and sometimes it takes the stark reality or the contrast like it did with me which was the the conversation i had with my sister which painted the picture of one cultural community against another cultural community and there is an absolute black and white difference be- between those two and you know i have to say that my family member is totally happy she is a very successful very switched on very astute very assertive lady is my sister and she has a deep deep strong relationship with her coach and just like every other parent she would you know protect her daughter to the nth degree and So she actually said to me that her daughter would not be able to function at the level she is and would be nowhere near the swimmer she is and probably wouldn't be in the game if it wasn't for the relationship she had with her coach. And she said categorically that if her coach acted the way that I acted within the guidelines that I have in my industry the way that I act with my players she doubts very much whether her child would be where she is and you know my my niece is a potential Olympic athlete and her sport is very much her life and I don't know about you but that's an enormous responsibility and it's an enormous question to be asked as to you know, if we are compromised to such a degree that we cannot facilitate the change we want, then how do we how do we go about improving things? Where do we go from here? Is it just a question of us being true to ourselves and being totally truthful and honest and standing up and being brave and saying, I am totally honest, I am trustworthy, I am a person of integrity and I believe in myself and we can be trusted but in the cold light of day if somebody raises an allegation because we've possibly put ourselves in a situation that allows that then you know who who's going to protect us and who's going to help us with the sleepless nights I don't know the answer to that but that's a question that's been brought up into my into my mind today and um, maybe it's one for discussion so I'm going to leave it like that it's probably a little bit of a rant but it's um it has serious ramifications either way, doesn't it? If uh, something untoward is alleged, then that has serious ramifications. And also, if we are not facilitating 
the best from our players because we are totally compromised or significantly compromised in our ability to relate because you know sometimes one-to-one conversations that is it is it true that a player might tell you something that that they want to tell you and is that it is actually about a child a protection issue it is a vulnerability issue it is a safeguarding issue and because you don't put yourself in a situation on a one-to-one where that child feels comfortable to do that you know are we say are we unsafeguarding the safeguarding well maybe there's a question okay that's enough from me if you have got any any responses i would love to hear them if you've got any anything you want to say just catch me at www.robriles.co.uk leader manager coach i'm on uh social media twitter facebook or linkedin catch me and uh let me know but once again thanks for your time always appreciate it look forward to speaking to you again bye-bye